You're listening to the Double Happy Podcast with Rebecca Hildebrandt and Nick Lange. for a couple of years now and it yeah it's just been like in the making for so long and initially we wanted to sell like apparel and sell shirts but we both knew that like it needed to be more than that that we wanted to have an impact on people and we knew that we wanted to spread positivity in some way and then somehow this podcast thing came up. How did it, how did it come up? Oh, it's like you can either I can be a force for positive in the world or I can utilize other people's positivity, right? So like what I like to talk about it just in regards to like doing my best is I'm only capable of being 100% of myself. But if I can inspire 10% more in you, then that's my actual way to get to 110 and the same is sort of true with positivity or with any sort of insight that can change the way you look at the world or interact with the world. So it's like, well, why don't we just do that with people? And it's like, well, what would be a good reason that people would agree to do shit like this? It's like, oh, well, let's just hang out with cool and interesting people and press record. That's really cool. I think, like, positivity is something that like, really can get people going and it's like a common thread for everybody. Like, you might like music or a certain type of music. And if you base a podcast around that, then you're just limiting your your potential guests and, and your audience even. Positivity is something everybody kind of strives for, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I can totally understand that. Very cool. Yeah. And on both sides of the coin, like, everybody knows that they're a piece of shit and they're trying to get better. So what we want to focus on with the podcast is that sort of duality. So what makes me a piece of shit and what am I trying to do to fix it? And being able to talk about that, but then also talk about the things, like the little victories that you have in life. Like, what makes that worthwhile? Like, what is that victory to me? And how can I share that information with you? And then allow everyone in the world who's interested to be a fly on the wall. That's incredibly cool. It also, I have like a litmus test. It's called the bus test. Where like, if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, like, the what is sort of left over? And if I can have a conversation that like, can be just get you this much closer to being the human being that you want to be then i've passed the bus test so just constantly doing that each and every day very cool do you have a litmus test like like a bus (laughs) test maybe a train no i don't but i hear it from him all the time and i'm like well that's really depressing (laughs) but it definitely forces you into the present moment and uh i'm a like a worrier of future shit that hasn't even happened yet so when he says that oh well i could just get hit by a bus to tomorrow and what's left and i'm like oh great that's lovely so 
it kind of like forces you to be like, okay, what am I doing now that's like important that would make me feel proud? Interesting. So. I used to have like terrible anxiety like when I was a kid. Um, and I just kind of like snapped out of it. I don't really know. I used to be always like so paranoid about the future and little things. Like even this, like when when I was a kid, I was probably grade three or something like that. I remember the at the end of grade three, like going into grade four, they sent a, a letter home from school saying like, just so you know, we're changing around our. Like, do you remember like nutrition breaks? And they went from like recess and they called it like nutrition breaks. Mm. Or we just anyway, they did this like stupid thing where they like started calling recess nutrition breaks and all this stuff so they rejigged the whole schedule and what that meant was that instead of finishing at 3:30 school was going to end at 3:15 and i remember my mom telling me like my mom's a nurse and she always worked 7 to 3 i would always go to my grandma's house before school and then my mom would pick me up right after school and i remember my mom told me like oh it's, i just got this letter um it says school's going to end at 3.15 now. I might not be there right away to pick you up. And I, I can honestly say that whole summer, that's all I thought about was, like, <laughs> what is going to happen when my mom's not there to pick me up from school? <laughs> like, what, like, how do I know if everything's going to be okay? And that was just, like, that's just kind of, like, a little story and it just, like, exemplifies, of like, how I was. And then I don't know what it, what, what happened, but... I kind of like f- completely flipped to the other side saying like al- like almost impulsive like not like I didn't care about anything I will just do anything and not really have any idea what the what the consequences would be I don't worry very much anymore I can't really say why That's interesting cuz mm-hmm. I noticed that in you like just being around you like you're pretty like no nonsense like when there's something worth going towards like you just like 10 steps towards it without a fucking second thought. Yeah, I just kind of picked the pieces up at the end, I guess. And that's, like, <laughs> super unhealthy, I think, for, like, certain things. But, like, yeah, I don't know. Got myself into a lot of a lot of stuff. Like, how we met was through work, and I just kind of, like, took this job as it came. Like, I never – it was, like, the first job offer that I had got in a long kind of trial and error of working – like where I wanted to work and stuff like that and job offers and denials and then where we work came in front of me and I just kind of snapped a chance in hindsight there's obviously pros and cons to it but like obviously I met you and I met other cool people and I learned a lot about a really cool industry so yeah like I guess it all kind of happens for a reason which is like super cliche in my mind but like at the same time it is what it is I love the cliche because it, it, it's so applicable, right? And like what you're identifying in those moments, like there's like this duality of extremes. Like there's this one moment in school where you have that nothing but anxiety, right? Your life's sort of ruled by it. You're a passenger to it. There feels like there's nothing you can do and it's overtaking your life. And then because of the time spent with that extreme, it allows you to easily sp- sort of swing that pendulum to the other side, that relief or that not caring it can be unhealthy right by picking up the pieces afterwards like that could definitely be a destructive tendency if you let it but as long as you have self-awareness and you can fucking keep that on a leash it's a really important skill set that take you a long way cool i appreciate that that's kind of like affirming (laughs) what's your take on it 
man. <laughs> <laughs> like, I guess, how does your anxiety make you live your life? And has it changed? I find that the older I get, the more that I push myself into my fears and anxieties to try and overcome them. We talked about this in our last episode of like starting something new and like that's the hardest part is just to make that first step. And but once you do it and you keep on doing it, you're like, oh, what the fuck? Like this was like not that bad at all. So yeah, I feel like I've just been in that constant practice of do the thing that scares you <laughs> and do it often. That's like right now, this is scary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have you ever talked into a microphone while it was recording before? Um, my dad used to be in a band, and when he would do sound checks, I would get up on stage and like do my own comedy stuff, <laughs> which I thought I was fucking hilarious. But I was like, uh, I think that stopped when I was probably like ten. So like, I've never in this kind of setting, absolutely not. It's a little uh, bit different. Yeah, it seems like my first quite honest feeling when we started our conversation was that like this feels forced. But at the se- but then like you just kind of look like over mm-hmm. rather than at and yeah. it's just like a conversation, you know, like mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't I I thought I was going to have to like talk differently or anything like that. But I knew like coming here like in the car I was like okay, like don't dwell on your like ums and ahs and like all that stuff because like when i listen to the podcast and i just hear like someone like uh in the microphone it's like terrible but i'll do my best so if you want to keep me in check on that it would be very much be appreciated ruthless. yeah i'm counting uh at least <laughs> say, uh. there you go Okay, we're all counting and keeping track of each other. Okay. There's this weird thing that happens when the red light turns on and you can't help but it feel forced, Mm -hmm. right? Like if I walk up to anybody on the street and put a microphone in their face, they're going to act differently. Just the situation changes when you are aware that something's happening. Same with a camera. A camera does exactly the same thing. You're not yourself when you see the fucking lens pointed right at your eyes and you see yourself in the reflection. You're like, this is, there's something different here and I need to put on my best self, my best act. I need to watch what I need to say. I can't get away with the same shit that I get away with my, with my friends in private, whatever the fuck the thing is. And you gotta, it changes you, period. But you just gotta own that, right? You forget what to do with your hands. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm making like this like pool of sweat in my palms right now because I'm literally just like... Well, that's, that's also not just you. We had to turn off our air conditioner and our fan because we didn't want lots of background noise so it's actually just that's ridiculously smart. hot okay yeah. well be that as it may hmm. I'm still kind of sweating mm-hmm. so like you're doing this podcast and you told me why and yep. like so like i know I, I express interest in joining you but i was more interested in like the unknown like what what do you want to talk about but even though we've already been talking for a good few minutes but like mm-hmm. what how do we work this? Well, like, period, like, the capital letter is what I care about is you, just Y-O-U, period. Like, I think you're an interesting human being. Like, 
that's as far as my reasoning goes. There's nothing more than that. And I want to spend time with people that affect me in a really real way. And you've done that. And so what better way to, to leave a lasting impression, not only you on me, but me on you as well, and Rebecca to us both, than actually sitting down at a table with microphones turned on with the red light flashing and then just talking and learning. I have a couple of things written down that I want to talk about. So like there are some things that I wanted to learn about you that I don't know. Okay. Yeah. So like a good example is like your background. Like I just super curious sort of how did you come to be this super smart and super cool person? That's like a super open-ended question. And I think it's the point of it. (laughs) Um, Let me just take a sip here and think about it. That bush, baby. Yeah, I don't know why I have a glass of water beside this bush. It's basically water. Um, So I'm the youngest of three. Um, I actually am, like, on paper, technically an only child. My um, two older brothers are 16 and 17 years older than me, and they're my half-brothers. My dad was in a relationship before me so they met my my dad and my mom are both um from the uk my dad's from northern ireland and my mom's from scotland so they got together when my dad and mom were probably like 23 and 19 something like that i don't really know the ages and my dad had like these infants of one and two years old so they made the conscious decision to like wait on having kids and um, raise their two, the two children that they have, Trevor and Richard and my brother's names. So I didn't, I wasn't born until like much later, right? So I guess my family was in like a different spot in kind of like the cycle. Like when my brothers were growing up, they didn't have as much like they didn't enjoy as much privileges as I as I did. Um, like my dad never went to higher education. My mom is a nurse, and like back then it was a lot easier to become a nurse, like no university or anything like that. So it was always like really driven home that like I was going, like they really wanted me to go to university. Um, so my dad kind of like made the decision that I would um, go to a private school in high school. And I, I didn't want to. Like, I had all my friends in, like, public school and stuff like that. And it was, like, really hard because, like, I did face some kind of backlash. Because, like, you know, the, pub, the kid that goes to public school and transfer to a private school. Like, you can honestly just kind of imagine what kind of, like, connotations come with that. So I went to this private school. It's called Ridley College in St. Catharines. And it's, they're all about, like, university preparation. And, like, um, they're based on, like, the old, like, English kind of like wear the uniform and the tie and and all this stuff it was like your quintessential private school that you would see on tv and it was like re- it was really there that i kind of like realized like what i was good at and i like i hate saying this now but like it was like worthwhile that i went there just because like i was able to kind of realize my strengths i realized i was like really good at languages um studied a lot of language um I've said them a couple of times, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, and then I've always kind of, and I just say it right after that too. Don't think about it. But yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's not where I wanted to go in life was with like the language. I really enjoyed like foreign cultures and, and languages, but it's more of a hobby 
like career wise i definitely wanted to pursue something scientific so my mom was a nurse and like my mom has like affected me a lot in my life both my parents have but in totally different ways um my mom was really scientific and she always made sure that i understand what whenever i was sick i understood what medication i was taking and i understood the process by which i became sick and that really sparked my interest and i used to love going to visit her at work at the hospital so i said i wanted to be a doctor so i pursued in my first year of undergrad i pursued um biomedical science because i thought that was like kind of the one-way ticket to becoming a doctor and then i'll never forget this in first year evolutionary biology which is like the first kind of taste of university science this prof at u ottawa his name's john hausman he said to everybody it was probably about 600 people in this lecture hall he said okay look to your left sorry i messed that up already he said everybody put your hand up who wants to go to medical school first year biology class of x hundred people the majority raised their hand so he says okay now look to your left and look to your right those people are not getting into medical school and i was like damn this is going to be a lot harder than i thought so i did a lot of like reflection and i was like you know like i really don't want to be a doctor for the money and like there's a lot easier ways to make money without stressing yourself out <laughs> or taking on all that liability of like literally having someone's life in your hands literally yeah mm -hmm. so i like i just kind of stood back and was like you know i need to follow what i care about is like i care about helping people right i still do care about science but i don't want to be a doctor so i kind of like rejigged my life moved to london ontario because i wanted to pursue health science which is more of like a social I kind of like the social determinants of health, not all biology and like pathogens and all that stuff. It's more like your environment and your education and like all that stuff. It kind of makes you like woke <laughs> in a way or like what you thought. I thought I was woke in like <laughs> in undergrad and then you come to fourth year and like you're done school and you're just like, wow, I, I learned a lot, but I really know nothing at the same time because it came, I realized like I needed experience to really get what I wanted, which was like kind of like, more knowledge right so i kind of ended up in the areas of like i'm a good leader i found that out through my experience in school and um sports and just just general interaction with people like i, I do lead people well this is a sweet motorcycle that is um so i wanted to kind of like bridge the gap between like leadership and healthcare and science and people and improving lives of people so i kind of like settled on this master's degree where i was like it's called management of applied science and it basically takes the scientists from the undergrads and like teaches you business and leadership and like organizational change and stuff like that so like besides like my own like professional endeavors i've always loved uh like learning material things like capital cities and currencies and history of places and languages and stuff like that and i spent like a lot of time like on wikipedia like i just 
love to go through Wikipedia and stuff, which is super weird. Like, normally people, like, go out and socialize and stuff. I do that, too, but, like, I don't know. I just like to learn things. Like, I often find, like, I have trouble, like, someone will be like, oh, watch this series on Netflix. I'll be like, no, like, I'd rather just, like, learn about this topic or something like that or watch a documentary or something like that. And I don't know, I, I kind of see Rebecca going like, oh, wow, that's... Oh, no, I was going to say that Nick is, like, the same. Oh, okay. So, you well, two are very similar yeah, in that aspect. Yeah, it's kind of becoming evident why I'm here. Then, but, um, <laughs> it all makes sense why you guys are friends. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh, my God, I'm seeing my life times two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, like, besides, like, being set up for success through my parents doing everything they could for me, I also kind of like I've taken a lot of initiative to just learn things and see things from people's perspective. I think one of the best ways you can learn stuff is to get someone's perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope that kind of yeah, gets totally. to what you're. And it turns asking. it full circle because that's exactly what we're doing, right? The best way to get any piece of information is to hear it straight from someone. And it makes sense hearing about your background and now spending like a little, little bit of time with you. Let's be real, I've spent a lot of time with you, right? Yeah. So, like, being able to hear your background, your family makeup, what interests you, where you went, it, like, it makes perfect sense. So, like, my, my like, follow-up question to, to all of that history, like, including the familial sort of makeup, and then also in your educational endeavors, like, how did that affect your mindset about, like, what encourages you to learn or encourages you to be happy or deal with your emotions or yourself or... Well, like, just you asking that question there, the first kind of thought that popped into my head was, like, gratitude. Um, You always have to be grateful for, like, the opportunities that you've been given. Because I wouldn't have had the ability to to gain an interest in what I've, excuse me, done in the past without my parents, for example, buying me atlases and, like, talking about and taking me to new countries Ticket, like even taking me to a restaurant when I'm a kid, right? Now that I'm almost like 23, which is young by many standards, I still kind of have this kind of wisdom that I can use to reflect upon my like younger years and my like formative perspectives. So it all starts with gratitude. And then I guess it's just like a really bullet for me it boils down to like the golden rule which is treating others the way you wish to be treated like if you take for example like a healthcare intervention or something to do like in improving the health of a population like you have to involve them for, like and give them not involve is too light of a word give them leadership and allow them to self determine their own destiny I find like a lot of times people have this like there's I'm sure there's a there's a term for it but it's like kind of like say the savior mentality whereas like if you ha- if you have like a university education or um this and the, uh, coupled with this willingness to help that you can do no wrong but in reality like you may not understand what the fuck you're talking about like with the people you know like there's been many examples I've heard of to put it bluntly, white people, like, for example, helping out 
like in quotations helping out aboriginal populations by creating some intervention and just dropping it on them and it them becoming surprised it doesn't work like the term in the trade is helicopter health promotion which is like you go away and you craft up some perfect intervention that you have through your own context but it just doesn't work it's like trying to fit the square through the circle hole you know mm-hmm. like so I, I just think really involving yourself with others it just kind of informs that like mindfulness that you need along with the past and recognizing how that formed who you are to this day that like that mindset like the fact that what you go to right away is just gratitude like that's that says a lot about you not only where you come from but also like everything that was instilled in you at a young age right so how being the 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 youngest and by a, a big margin like how did that affect it? do you think that affected it at all well like when you think of the youngest do you think of like the one who like cries and gets their way all the time or like the one that gets beat up all the most like like it's weird for an infant to get beat up by an 18 year old right so it's not like i kind of had that that aspect of being the youngest it's an interesting way to put it like i've never kind of equated the two like i know when i was growing up like my two brothers were not as close as we are now as we were then excuse me um but when we were at our closest like they were my idols and like they showed me experience through like interaction with older people and how to be like cool mm-hmm. if you if you know what i mean like don't be a little shit in front of my friends kind of thing <laughs> like we're trying to watch the hockey game like sit down and shut up and yeah. and that so like i think me being the youngest is, is sort of like lucky for me because I have had all the opportunities given to me that my brothers haven't, but they themselves have helped me realize like how to play it cool and how to stay level-headed from a young age. It's like, if you don't scream and cry and run around, I'll let you play Grand Theft Auto Vice City and you can, <laughs> you can shoot people if you want. <laughs> so, yeah, like I've never really thought about how being the youngest affected me, but I'd have to say it would just be having older people to look up to and model behavior has helped me kind of mature in a non rocky way. You know what I mean? That makes perfect sense. Cause I, I'm a middle child and my oldest brother is like 16 months older than me. And my youngest is my younger brother is 16 months younger than me. So like I've always been distracted by like the people around me who are kids so I was always like on one side and then on the other, they're both children where it sounds like your upbringing was, you were raised by just a, a, a plethora of adults. Yeah. I guess if you look at it that way, it's yeah, probably right. I don't know if my brothers acted like adults when they were younger, but like <laughs> physically and yeah, emotionally they were adults. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I'm curious what you think. Well, 
I feel like being the youngest, uh, when you think about being parents and parenting, like your parents, they had the time before you to kind of like sort through what worked and what didn't work. (laughs) So I wonder if like at that point when you came around that they're like, oh, don't even bother with this. This will probably work better. And it it seems like it all benefited you in the long run. Yeah. <laughs> but that's a logical way to think about it, right? Mm-hmm. Like you've had two trial runs, right? Like the third should be a breeze. Mm-hmm. And you hear about all the stories of like how the parents like first child, like they're so hypochondriacs. Like they cannot let any germs near their child. And then by, like, the third child, like, they're basically, like, eating dirt when they're playing. (laughs) Yeah, they're like, ah, they'll be fine. Yeah, and, like... (laughs) Fuck it, they haven't died yet. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's an interesting way to put it. Yeah. It's, like, a perspective I don't really know because I'm an only child. So both of you talking about it, I'm like, like, I don't know. It was just, it was just me. And, like, I guess, you know, similar to you where, like, I am very grateful that I, like, you know, my parents got to focus mainly on me and um, I benefited in many ways when it came to, like, going to university and being so supportive and having all those opportunities. What did you go to school for? I went to art school. Cool. And I got a Bachelor of Fine Arts. Wow. Photography. That is super impressive. Yeah. It was cool. Yeah. It was a cool time. Did you meet a lot of cool people when you were there? Oh, yeah. Tons of cool people. and cool, People who were way cooler than me. <laughs> I'd go to school and be like, damn, like, that's a cool outfit. How? I don't understand how you pull that off, but, like, that's that's really cool. Do you think um, they had the same substance as you, though? They should, like, have a cool outfit. Do you think they're as deep and as... Oh, they were hipster deep. Oh. Wow. Real The deep. best kind of deep. Right. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> no, I went to school with some really cool people and um, a lot of interesting professors doing cool work. And I, I went to school in Vancouver, so Vancouver's a really interesting place to live and it's very looking back on it now like it's also very uh lonely which is a weird thing to to say it's a it had many many great things about it and being surrounded by nature and all the the art and culture and music but there's something about Vancouver and the city that's also a little bit lonely and I know that I wasn't always the only one who who felt that do you think it came with like big city life or just the city itself was lonely I feel like partly big city life but also Vancouver is so expensive to live in and think of like, you know, I was like being a student and like living that student life. It's like you have like 
a bit of money for this and a bit of money for that. But when all of your money goes towards your rent and your tuition and you're like, well, I would love to have some beer. I guess I'm just not going to eat dinner today. So and you have to pay for less beer that way because you probably get more drunk. Yes. <laughs> that too. <laughs> it gets really comes, comes uh, full circle. Yeah. But no, I yeah. totally understand what you're saying. But... Like, you don't think about it. Obviously, your priorities are different when you are in university. And all you think about is having fun and socializing and being around people. But, I don't know. After all that socializing, I I can't really describe, like, what it is about it that felt lonely. But I knew when I finished my undergrad that... Vancouver wasn't like my forever home. It's it's cool to hear because you hear that like Vancouver is like such like a it's like an idyllic place, you know. Like people mm-hmm. like strive for Vancouver. And yeah. It's, yeah. Maybe experiencing it within a different context might be the key. It's like yeah, you got the the mountains. You have this culture of like people who are really healthy and into their wellness and like there is a great art community there is music but when you strip that all away that I feel like what everyone looks for is that sense of community and belonging and I'm not saying that that doesn't exist in Vancouver but there's something about the about the city that like just has that air of of loneliness. I can't really pinpoint it. Interesting. Yeah. Never thought about that. But you hear that and that that can happen in m- many cities around the world. You know, like some of the most lonely. I guess like first-hand accounts are from people in mega cities and like asia is a great example right whether it be like south korea or japan or anything like that just where people aren't more likely to go seek out friendships or connection or community for whatever reason do you think culture plays a role in that like if you oh yeah bud (laughs) so do you think vancouver is like beginner level loneliness compared to Mexico City, Sao Paulo, Mm -hmm. Tokyo. Well, I think it's like most large cities have a a common thread in that they are a destination, right? So when you have a place, I'm talking out my ass, by the way, before I go any further, I just want to let you know, like, (laughs) but people usually traveling to, to Vancouver to get away from a place, right? So when you travel anywhere, you sort of have to start fresh. And when you have this accumulation of all these people starting fresh, what you have is all these, like, if you look at it from a perspective, like a constellation of connection, right? Like what's connected to, or who's connected to who and why, then you sort of find like they don't have as many connections as you would you would think. And especially in a big city like, say, Tokyo or San Paolo or what is that we said? Sao Paulo, yeah. Sao Paulo, yeah. yeah. And then, or any of these big, huge, like, traveling destination places. You're, I think it's intuitive to, 
to to infer that you wouldn't have a lot of connections because there's just not a lot to connect to when you start fresh. When if you go to like a small town with 200 people where everybody knows each other, you're not going to feel lonely there because all the connections are made even though you have less data points. Where I think it's it, I think it's sort of built into that that sort of destination. That's cool. Because the way I, th I see it is like for small towns, like take Kenora, for example, hmm. like it seems like all the connections are made there and like anybody who comes in is an outsider and like that in, in and of itself would be lonely. Yeah, it's a problem in this because in Kenora in the summer months, we have such a huge influx of people who want to camp who want to fish, who want to be a part of the wildlife. You just have all, all these travelers coming in. And then in the winter, everybody ditches it because you'll die because it's minus 40. So like during the minus 40 is when you have that connection, when you have that community. And then in the summer, you know, everyone's griefed or pissed off that they didn't have what they had in the previous seasons, it seems. I'm also kind of talking up my ass because I haven't lived there in like a decade, but... I don't know if that's still the case. Well, like, I was back there seven years ago, and, yeah, in the summertime, the locals would get pissed off at all the the Manitobans, the visitors, and be like, ah, oh, they make the town so busy, and, like, traffic is, like, so bad. But, like, come on, like, they're bringing... They're helping the economy and they're helping businesses in that area. And then when it's winter, people are like, there's nothing to do and no one's open. Well, no one's open because there's no one, you know, participating in these businesses because we don't have like the people. Mm. It's this weird cycle. It's like this dichotomy of like, you, you have big cities where everything's at your fingertips but you can be lonely in a totally different way than you can when you're isolated in minus 40. <laughs> it's, yeah, I guess you'd have to pick your poison. Yeah. yeah well, well, in all these situations, it's this balancing act, but like one of those impossible balancing acts, it's like, well, great, choose your poison's better. But like <laughs> being able to, to balance, like whether it's your city balancing what you do in the winter and what you do in the summer and how people stay entertained or enjoy themselves or or have or can thrive or enjoy their their life or even like work-life balance is another thing where you just you can never get that right there's no such thing as like a 50 50 balance it's always going to be 51 49 and it's up to you which way the the scales tip what would you say is more important to you work or life if life. you have to have so 51 is life? Oh, 100%. Yeah, 100%. Like, without hesitation. Fuck work. But I've heard you talk before where, like, you're obviously very passionate about music. Mm -hmm. Like, is there a point where work eclipses life or life or vice versa? Oh, 100%. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, like, I guess it's, it's up to you to, if you understand your endeavor, to know when to dial it back, right? Like, I've... I've been offered connections to people who work in places where I could have music be my job, 
but I am not going to do that because music's too sacred to me. Like, I don't want to make money doing it because then when it becomes how much dollars I make, that's when my art gets corrupted. Like, that's just me. Like, I know I like money and I know I like music. And if you started paying me to make good songs according to you, I'm going to make you a good song according to you, but it's not going to make me happy. And that's not why I make music. I make music because I don't hear a thing, so I create the thing. And that's like, what's in it for me? So like, I would 100% choose life, like, well, maybe 51% of the time <laughs> choose life over work. Because like, I don't need work to be happy, but I need life to be happy. That's cool. Because I feel like any, any kind of person you would ask, they would always say, I would 100% choose life over work. But then you kind of like look at them, like the camera goes into their office and stuff, or follows them home, and they're working. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's like you are you are different. Like I, from as long as I've known you, like you are different mm-hmm. in that aspect. But a lot of people aren't. A lot of people would say one thing and maybe do another. Yeah. I don't know if I'm right about this, but I would. I, I'm pretty brave in making this this uh, proclamation that the most the least interesting part of everybody's life is what they do for a living period i don't give a fuck what you did nine to five i'm sorry i don't i don't give a fuck who you work with i just don't what i care about is what you care about outside of work like what gives you life like what makes your blood pump what gives what makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up that's what i give a fuck about I don't care how much money you make. I don't care what you're doing. Like, shut the fuck up. Let's talk about what really matters. <laughs> that's that's just that that's me. That's that's where where I put all my coins. Yeah, it makes that makes sense. Like, it's it's almost like like everybody is seem it seems like it's an unenviable thing f- to define yourself by your work. Yet, so many people strive to change the world and like have that define them but also make money at the same time. It's like this really weird like scene we got going on, you know? Mm-hmm. Like I have mad respect for like someone like your mom, right? Like just right in the virtue when you can make a lot of money by helping a lot of people in a real way, like that's a fucking job. And like I bet your mom, or I don't I don't know this, I guess this would be, be a question. I don't know if you have the answer to this. What would your mom think about her job versus her life? Where would you think she would fall in that spectrum of 5149? That's a good question. Like, she works a lot. Um, like, as a nurse, you have to, right? She works, like, 12-hour days. But her life is her home and her family and what she does for travels and going out for dinner and stuff like that. So, like, I think she works. <laughs> so my dad's retired, he retired like maybe seven years ago now and like he just he's at home and he just does whatever he wants right and he deserves it but i think my mom stayed at work for a while just to kind of like not have to be with my dad all the time (laughs) in like the nicest way like they love each other like to death but i think she like holds on to work as something that's like hers she owns that and like she she's very when you talk to her about her work and what she does, like she's very proud of that. Um, but from a hundred feet up, like she, 
she values her time off and her time doing and her vacation and planting the garden and, and stuff like that. But I wouldn't like as a nurse, I think that kind of does define you in a way it, it defines a part of you because you're part of a group and it's like a really like noble, a noble group. So yeah, like it's a, it's kind of a weird, like inter intertwined situation she's in. She likes her time off. She likes her family and, and that, but like, she's also very, she's also a nurse. Right. And like that, like can define you. And it does define part of her. Like she wouldn't be her if she wasn't a nurse. Right. So yeah, like I can't, I couldn't put a number to it, but very, like it's super intertwined. Yeah, because you, you need to exercise a little bit of self-awareness about like what you do professionally and what you what you care about. And I'm aware like the thing that makes me money my entire life, I've never actually given a fuck about because the things that I give a fuck about, I don't make money doing, right? So like I'm in a u- unique situation in that I know that that's just a thing that I guess... I'm in a unique unique situation in in that what I do and what value it gives other people is separate from monetary, right? You know, like when you listen, like if you're in a shitty mood and you listen to a song, right, that just puts you into like that sort of flow state or that state of mind, or you want to cry, you listen to a song that makes you cry. Like that's the currency of like my life. And that's so intangible, right? Like Mm. it's... It's, it's not the same, but I, I have the self-awareness to know that most of the world or a lot of the world, like your mom or whatever, like they, they can have a different opinion on their endeavors and their lives. I feel like it totally depends on the profession. Because yeah. like I think about my dad. My dad's a minister, but he also, wow. for... 22 years he dedicated his life to um to helping others so the indigenous communities in Kenora Ontario and helping those who were in need those who were in jail or going through a really hard time dealing with homelessness, addiction, and that kind of work, really difficult work. Uh, I feel like that became just who he was. Um, Yeah, so I, obviously like you said about your mom, like, my dad has his things that he's passionate about reading, but I can't picture my dad not doing, helping others and being in those communities of people who are um, needing that help, underprivileged. Um, yeah. I see what you're saying because, like, I forget who it was, who it was, but the other day, we, someone and I were having the conversation about like helping others makes you feel good, right? Mm-hmm. 
And is that like a is that a selfish thing? I wouldn't say so. No. No, I don't like yeah, it's inherently good to help people. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Well, it's like a reward structure, right? Like if you want to work out so that you feel sexy, like vanity is <laughs> seriously, vanity is a way to to get that. <laughs> right that's that's a means to an end and if that's what you need to exercise to get there then so be it and same like if you need to feel good by helping people and you're doing it for selfish reasons i think that that is fine you know if you just go around helping everyone like actually tangibly making life better everywhere that you go just for you i i think that that's totally cool but like the end result is people are helped where like people yeah. like people's lives are improved, right? Yeah. So like, is that one hundred percent for you? If it makes you feel good. Yeah. You know, in the same same way, like with the the exercise analogy there, but like if vanity is the only thing that you care about for you to take care of yourself, like vanity, like you don't really, no one wants to be vain, but like if that's what you need to tap into to be the best version of yourself do that thing right like if you if you're only helping someone to help yourself you're not expecting anything in return you're not taking advantage of anyone you're not like giving anyone like the one to switch anything like that if you're just helping someone for the sake of helping them that's just as good as if you're helping someone you know with the same thing but you just want it for yourself to feel good uh, i look at it mathematically what's on the other side of the equal sign right if the if the result is the same, I don't care what what your bed mass is. Very cool. Yeah, I, I kind of had the same opinion of of that. I don't know who. It, it's annoying me. Oh, now I remember. It was we. Someone I was talking to was talking about a pastime, where someone had said like, "Your like initiatives, volunteering, going to Africa and building the houses like." That's selfish. And I think it's pretty well understood now that it's like, yes, like you can, you obviously get gratification from helping people, mm-hmm. self-gratification, but like you are helping. Like a, what you define as helping may not be the most effective or most like need-based thing that you could be doing but it's still something, right? It's still showing you care and compassion that does something for people on a human level, right? Mm-hmm. That's true. I th- Fundamentally, I think it's important to like have that self-awareness to know that the most important person in this universe is you, period. If you can't take care of yourself, you're not going to be able to help anybody else. And if you can motivate yourself to do good by being selfish, be selfish, man. I don't know. Like, I, I don't understand the taboo to it. Like, maybe I'm blind to that, that, like, there's shitty people. But I I want everyone to be so selfish that they can be the best version of themselves and to be have a 100% charge to take charge of their life and to do so much good for other people. And if they're self-centered doing that, like, good. Do that. That's a starting point, though. Like, if you're wanting to help people for selfish reasons, and you're always going to learn something from it, and 
it's part of that, that journey that you go on. And I feel like it will shift when you realize the impact that you are having on people. So I, I just think it's a great mindset. So I agree with you. If that's what it takes to start something, to help, to make an impact, why not? Yeah. If you got to build houses in Africa to make you feel good, it's like fucking build a village, man. <laughs> Deep. Was it? <laughs> low-hanging fruit, low-hanging fruit. So I want to talk about the, the, the format because we were talking about a lot of cool things and I have a grape in my mouth. But one thing we like talking about here and one of the big reasons why we want to have people on the podcast like yourself, Aaron, number one, conversations like we're having. But I want to take it to like, to distill it down to one important thing. Like literally it's called one big lesson. And like, that's one thing that I'd like to extract from your brain, your life, your experiences. If you could leave me and Rebecca in this room with one piece of information that you've learned from your family, from your, your, your artistic endeavors, who you love to listen to, the art you love to experience, the places you like to see, the languages you like to learn, what would be the one piece of information that you could leave with us that would leave an impact? I feel like I'd have to sit here and think and think and think, but You're I'll not. just get started. You, you can say more than one thing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, advice that's been given to me before in a proverbial way is actually from my dad, and I never really understood the the meaning of it. But he always used to say, whatever you say, say nothing. And I've always kind of been in opposition to that until very recently, actually. Like, I used to think that you would, like, need to make your voice heard. And that kind of, like, motif, you know? But what, after, like, some reflection on that, it he kind of just means, like, don't talk yourself into a corner. Don't allow people to create a context of what in which you exist don't talk because you never know who's listening right but if you or if one kind of talks as if they know something a little something about anything right people will soon begin to think that you are Kind of, you are in that area and you are maybe somewhat of an, an expert or somewhat versed in that. And then it gives them the ability to build upon what you can and can't do. So to me, quiet leadership stems from that. Oftentimes the most vocal person in the room gets their way and I am totally against that. I think it's the more well-thought-out and calculated person who should have more, should have the floor more than they do. People who talk until they think of something to say often, they just give misconstrued ideas. 
and they allow people to take what they will from that conversation and go and apply it to their life so say saying nothing and thinking and absorbing first is so valuable to me because it gets it allows you to kind of take in what's being presented to you without jumping the gun and saying something that may inadvertently shut someone up or say something that you might want to hear so always being the second person to kind of speak um, in certain situations obviously um, you need to stand up for yourself and you should never allow people to walk all over you but that being said you don't always need to say something there's something like silence is very powerful sometimes that was just the that's just like the first thing that came to my head and it's some words I've lived by and I would say that's like the biggest lesson is like being able to just sit at a party or in a group setting and just like take it and appreciate the people how they talk how they move sights sounds smells feelings you don't get that when you're talking to people when you're talking about something you may not want to talk about so yeah it's it's kind of just like the power of silence and, and absorption of information from people i would say is like the one big lesson i would like probably share with anybody who would want to listen but again i shouldn't be saying anything because you know whatever you say you say nothing right <laughs> <laughs> But again, that's that pendulum again, right? That one extreme. Can't have one without the other. No, that that's amazing insight. Thank you. What do you think of that or of your... Like if I were to throw that question back in your face, what would you say? One big lesson? Mm-hmm. Oh, fuck. Just do, do your best. Don't worry about it. Like literally that's what I've distilled my life down to. It's just do do something frequently. Don't worry about it. Go. And that's that, all she wrote? Yeah. If you just do that enough times, eventually you become the best. You know, you want to be a Muay Thai fighter? Just practice Muay Thai, get in some Muay Thai fights. Get your ass kicked a few times? 100%. Roll with the blue belts or whatever the fuck, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> take on everyone. Well, lately it's been em- embrace your fears and use them to get better and do better and have that courage to do exactly what you thought you couldn't do yeah I I always think there's something like really special about operating in the kind of the, the window of fear you know like in that margin area like I think of what scares me like I have this really weird like irrational fear of like large ships like it's super weird I know like not a lot of people right You're just like that low just yeah or like being in the water near one like is absolutely terrifying of an idea to me like there's no way like I've sent you videos of like divers like GoProing ships passing over their heads Top ten fear. Wow, wow. <laughs> top top one fear. <laughs> but if I go like sea doing in Lake Ontario, 
something like that. Like, I'll make a point of, like, going right up to the ships that are anchored, like, 400 meters offshore and not getting dangerously close because that's silly, but getting close enough where you can, you feel the heartbeat in your ears and, like, <laughs> you, and, like, I'm talking about a fucking ship right now. Like, the ships won't hurt you, right? Mm-hmm. But it makes me... It makes me like feel like I like kind of come like I shed some like I shed a layer of skin, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and that's something that like I'm doing that, that scares me. But like when you talk about like what you were saying, like getting out there and just doing something that scares you, you can just learn so much about yourself. You know, not only is it healthy to to feel that to get your heart rate up and like to feel feelings. Mm-hmm. That's always healthy, healthy, right? But hundred percent. But yeah, you can really do wonders when you're like kind of pushing yourself for what it's worth. Yeah, and to kind of go back on what you were saying about uh, listening and observing, and what did you? What was it that you said? Like the proverb? Yeah. Like whatever you say, yeah. say nothing. Say nothing. How cool is that? Which I love because uh, all the introverts out there are probably like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, queen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, as, as introverts, like that's just what we do and that's what feels natural anyways. And it's a bit affirming to be like, hey, I have this superpower (laughs) that what I do is like I take time to think about, process the thoughts. And for for the opposite, for those who are more extroverted, who they spend less time processing and they just speak it seems a little bit to a detriment that we we aren't saying anything. They're like, what the hell? You don't, why aren't you saying anything? It's like, I'm pros- I'm, th- I'm thinking about it. I don't want to just like say whatever. Yeah. And yeah. I'm actually very extroverted. Like, and it's not saying anything when silence falls is something that I have difficulty with because I feel like people need to be engaged. Mm. So not only is that a big lesson, but it's something I kind of use to keep myself in check. Nice. And like, it, it speaks to your your discussion of, of addressing your fears every day. Like, I don't want people to feel awkward. I don't want because I'm an extrovert, I'm getting my energy from people, right? If people feel uncomfortable or if I perceive them to be feeling uncomfortable, it comes back to me and I feel uncomfortable. But that being said, like it's it's so val like it's validating to hear that like it's all good. Like <laughs> you don't need to Nothing needs to be said all the time. Mm-hmm. People don't need to be made to feel comfortable because people are totally resilient. They can do it themselves. They can 
if someone's uncomfortable in my in my company despite silence they can get up and excuse themselves mm-hmm. and that's something i kind of need to like always keep keep in the back of my head is that i don't need to entertain you mm-hmm. or talk to you about what i think you think you want to talk about <laughs> and it's it's interesting for introverts and extroverts to be in practice of that because introverts who want to like take more time to think about what they want to say instead of doing that all the time and just like trying to like speak what's on their mind and then the extroverts you know holding back like how that in conversation shifts things and shifts the conversation is really interesting well it's that balance right it comes back to that balance again like even you being an extrovert, like I see introverted tendencies in you and introverted insights, right? And then with Rebecca, I see like she's a, she's a strong extrovert, right? She commands classes at yogis all the time. Like that's an extroverted strength. So you have that balance of everything going on at all times. And you really have to have that, have that ability to always tap into what you understand about that opposite or that thing that needs addressing as an introvert you got to remind yourself it's like oh fuck if i don't say something then i've I've been silent for days yeah (laughs) (laughs) sometimes i get i've gotten high and been like fuck i've been literally silent for days but it's only been like a few minutes (laughs) (laughs) time dilation not again yeah (gasps) yeah breathe heartbeat heartbeat breathe out is this this a normal heartbeat yeah oh my god i'm still not talking yeah exactly (laughs) looking in the mirror being like who the fuck is that guy what i really look like yeah i know (laughs) (laughs) oh god no i i i love the big lessons that you guys instilled upon me it's really nice i i I enjoy the fuck out of that it's gonna gonna make a good reflection it's gonna allow me to to process life a little bit more easily write it in your memoirs yeah yeah, this is this fucking podcast is therapy, man. Like this is wicked. Being able to sit down with you and definitely get those insights—that's awesome. And I don't have a lot of friends who would want to do this. This would not even cross their mind to say, "Let's sit down and talk about mm-hmm. our perspectives and record it mm-hmm. and share it with the people." It's cool. Yeah. I I'm, I don't have many words to say about that. Mm-hmm. But it's cool. I can't hog you, man. Like I, the the insight that I had that made me want to like reach out to you and ask you is that just every single interaction I have with you is meaningful, right? Like deep and meaningful. And I'm like, well, holy shit! Like, what am I doing if I just let him move away <laughs> without actually like getting to reflect upon more something more deep? Like, yeah, we could hang out and have a conversation without the microphones and stuff. But what 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 situation is better than pressing record, allowing you to give your best self, and then asking situations and things that that are that may that you you that may be crossing the line without a microphone? I don't know. It's a it's an interesting situation that I I sort of roped you into, and uh, I'm really appreciative that you agreed to it. Well. I don't know, I just think it's like a good culmination of like where we work and what we do and who we work with, mm. the type of industry we're in. 
like I walk by the studio in our office every day, and I was like, damn, that looks really cool. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I could say, who I could help, but the fact that we're like doing it, maybe it'll reach somebody. Yeah, just yourself, like, of course. You've made that very clear. Like Rebecca said, fucking just do it. Like, just do it, bro. Yeah. Whatever, whatever you're afraid of, like, go nose to nose with it. Let it know you're not scared. Spine straight. Look it in the eyes. Fucking do something about it. And I think that's ultimately what this is. Is I was afraid to ask you to like come do something with me, and I'm happy that all of us were able to get here and do something super cool like mm-hmm. this together. Yeah, it's been awesome. Cool, man. So to wrap it all up, the last thing I have is a uh, sort of like that one big lesson. Like a, I really I wanted to ask you like what do you, what message do you want to leave with us? Like just what's the what's the one piece of information like obviously you have like this next step in your life that you want to take if you could almost leave like a little time capsule for yourself like not for me not for Rebecca not for people listening but just for yourself like what would be like that little that idea time capsule that message that you would leave so in case you didn't know I'm going to teach English in Korea for 14 months and then after that something something else somewhere else i don't know yet but like to answer that question is like and it's something i've learned a few times now by changing places and jobs and schools and houses is that like value the impressions people leave upon you and their memories that you have with them because you may not see them every day anymore you may not see them ever again if you don't if you you don't know but they, you can close your eyes and see them behind your eyelids. You can think, you can hear their voice in your head. And no matter where you go in life or like who, who you become, like you always have these formative interactions with people and relationships that you built and value those and appreciate them and understand that people may not be physically in your space for a certain period of time if ever again but know that it's like affected you in a positive way and you've grown from it yeah awesome thank you man no problem yeah all right i think that's a good note to end on thanks for yeah no problem it's been awesome and uh, i really enjoyed doing this appreciate it man cheers thanks for being on the show